Good evening, everyone. This is a very, very sweet night for me. I'm going to paraphrase. Something that Jesus said to his disciples was that anybody who has left houses and lands and father and mother for my sake will receive 100 times more in this life and in the next. God has been so gracious to me to give me such a large and extensive families that spans at least the three churches in here and probably more. So I, I just want to express the, the joy with which my heart is leaping to just look out on the saints of Levittown Baptist Church and North Shore Baptist Church and Lynbrook Baptist Church and all of the other churches that are represented by saints who know and love us. Uh, It is a good and pleasant thing when brethren dwell in unity, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. This is it right here. This is it. So today the word of God is going to come to us from Genesis chapter 24. This is essentially the final chapter in the life of a man of faith. This man's name is Abraham. And from chapter 12 on until chapter 25, his life is the primary focus of the book of Genesis. What happens in chapter 12 is that God calls Abraham and he makes him a promise. This promise is so significant. And I want to read it to you. Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He essentially says to Abraham, what I want you to do is to sacrifice your comfortable family relationships and your housing. I want you to go where I tell you to go. And if you follow me, your descendants are going to become a very great people. And through you, every family of the earth, every tribe, every tongue and nation, so to speak, will be blessed. Does that sound like a promise? Does that sound like a promise? A promise from who? God. It's a promise from God. Let's look, please, at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Something very significant there that we have to hold in mind as we look at Genesis 24 in the life of Abraham. What scripture says there of Jesus Christ is that all the promises of God find their yes in him. If you translate it more literally, it says, for as many are the promises of God in him, Jesus Christ is the yes. Every promise that God has ever made is guaranteed, fulfilled, ratified, and actualized in and through Jesus Christ. Either by him as the active arm of bringing forth the promise or him being the very substance of the thing promised. Now promises of God are repeatedly spoken to Abraham throughout the course of his life. In Genesis 12, 7, 
God adds to this promise that he's already given about the blessing and the greatness of the name. And he says, also, I will give this land, the land of Canaan, to your offspring. He adds the land to the promise. In Genesis 13, God extends the explanation of the greatness of Abraham's descendants. God says to him, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. If you ever try to sweep your house, you see how much dust is on that window ledge. Imagine how much dust is throughout the earth. Imagine how many descendants God is promising to this man, Abraham. When Abraham, a man of faith, is almost overcome by doubt, in Genesis chapter 15, God reiterates his promise. Abraham says, Lord, you have given me no offspring. You made this promise. And now this guy, Eliezer, my household servant, is going to be my heir. And the Lord says, no. Your very own son will be your heir. When the promise of God seems impossible to Abraham, God comes and he reminds Abraham of the promise. Abraham says, Lord, shall a child be born to a man 100 years old and his wife 90 years old? Lord says, your wife, Sarah, the 90-year-old one, she is going to bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. And then, after a testing of Abraham's faith, where Abraham reveals that he does believe the Lord's promise thoroughly, God is gracious again to reiterate the promise. And I'm going to read this one because this is almost like a climax in the life of Abraham and the receiving of this promise. Genesis 22, 16 to 17. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Abraham lived a life that was carried along from beginning to end by the promises of God. So tonight's five-point outline of Genesis 24 follows the faith of Abraham and his servant and also reveals a pattern for the life of faith that should be evident in every follower of Jesus Christ. The five points are this. Point number one, the ground, God is Faithful. Point number two, people of faith are confident in God's faithfulness. Point number three, God's providence favors the faithful. Point number four, the faithful testify to God's faithfulness. And point number five, faith is confirmed. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, ask him to Make new faith tonight and build up faith that has been held up by his hand. Father, thank you for this opportunity to encourage the saints with your faithfulness. Lord, we are asking you by your spirit to encourage our hearts with your own faithfulness by your own spirit. Lord, if there are those who are doubting or rejecting you tonight, Lord, we pray that you would turn them around. And let them see your faithfulness and praise your name for it.
Lord, we are weak, but you are strong, and so we seek your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so please open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 24. It's a longer chapter, so I'm not going to do a lot of reading from it for time's sake, but I want you to be able to look at it as I reference his verses so you can fact check my work and see for yourself the glory that is there. So let's start with the greatest point. God is faithful. This is the ground of faith. As the children's song says, God keeps his promises. His word is true. He always does what he says he will do. The scripture says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? The answer to both of those rhetorical questions is no. If God said it, he will do it. If God spoke it, he will fulfill it. God is faithful. It's a quality that is inherent to his being. He is truth. Therefore, he speaks truth. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, Even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Can't deny himself. We are reminded of God's faithfulness at the beginning of Genesis 24. Verse 1, it says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. What was the word that God said to Abraham? He said, I will bless you and make your name great. What did God do? He blessed him in all things. Abraham was rich in livestock and silver and in gold. He was highly respected by the people of the land, even though he was just a sojourner in it. I mean, he owned no land. He had to buy a burial place for his wife. And yet the people of the land in the previous chapter say of Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. God had blessed him and made his name great, as he had said. Abraham's servant reiterates this in verse 35 of chapter 24. He says, the Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. Then he names the most significant blessing in verse 36. He says, and Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. This was the blessing of blessings and the most astounding act of God's faithfulness towards Abraham. And he promised Abraham that he would have many descendants and that his offspring would inherit the land when Abraham, at the wife of, at the age of 190 respectively, had no children. Sarah was barren, said he was past the, she was past the age. Hebrews 11:12 refers to Abraham as a man who was as good as dead, which means he was not able to bring forth children. But God's plan is not hindered by human ability or human circumstances. He is God Almighty, and his promises will be kept. And by his own mighty power, he comes to Abraham and Sarah and grants them to conceive 
and bear a son because he is faithful. God is faithful. Do you believe that today? Point number two, the faithful are confident in God's faithfulness. Let me read to you Genesis 24, verses 2 to 9. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But I will go, but will go to my country and my, to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. And so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. The faithful are confident in God's faithfulness. And based on his confidence in God's faithfulness, Abraham does two things. He seeks a wife for his son. God has promised to give him descendants. Son needs a wife. And he also keeps his son from going back to the land from which he came. So a few things about seeking the wife. So Abraham believes God's promise. God said he's going to multiply his descendants. Abraham believes him. But he doesn't remain inactive. Right? In order for his descendants to continue, his son has to have a wife. In order for Isaac to produce children in a godly way, he needs to be married. Now, it was the custom of the time that the father's family went to the family of the prospective bride and proposed the marriage. So this is normal, natural function. And Abraham is not going to forsake that, saying, God promised I would have a bunch of descendants, so I don't really need to do anything. No, he takes steps in faith in pursuit of the promise. He recognizes that he has a responsibility to act faithfully in the light of God's faithfulness. And we can apply that thought to ourselves as we await the promise of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We are not to remain inactive, but rather to pursue the fulfillment of God's promises through faith-filled action. And scripture tells us this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says and encourages you to follow him. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's promised. He's called. But he said, in faith because I believe in God's promise, i got to press on towards it. The action is the evidence of the faith. And Abraham's actions here evidence his faith in God's promises. 
Second thing I want you to note about the seeking of the wife is the godliness of the seeking. Right? At one point in his time, Abraham believed the promises of God, but what he did was an ungodly thing to try to bring it about because he was tired of waiting. And he took his wife's handmaiden, Hagar, and went into her. And even later, pleaded to God that he would accept the illegitimate Ishmael. Oh, Lord, that Ishmael would live before you. Now, still believing in the promises, but perhaps a little more refined, he is now seeking the promises of God through godly actions, greater consideration to the Lord. My son needs a wife. Do not take for him a wife from these Canaanite women. Why? Got something against Canaanites? Well, it's not about their ethnicity. It's about what they worship. The people of the land of Canaan were straight-up idolaters and had no knowledge of Yahweh. And Abraham does not want his son marrying into such a family. He says, go to my kindred. Go to my kindred. (laughs) Now, in that time, family marriages were generally promoted, especially to cousins. We sort of recoil at it, but this was the the preferred thing. Keep it within the tribe. It's distant enough, but that is who you would seek to marry. But it's not just the family thing that I think is driving Abraham. Abraham's family knows Yahweh, and what Abraham wants for his son is a wife who will join him in pursuing the promises of the one true and living God. Third thing I want you to notice about the seeking of the wife is the oath. He puts his servant under oath to carry out this wife search according to the things that he has commanded. He does this weird thing. He tells, says, put your hand under my thigh. That was Obviously, it was a sign perhaps of subservience of the servant to the master, a sign of trust, a sign of closeness. We see it again in Genesis 47, 29, where Joseph puts his hand under his father's thigh, or Joseph's son puts his hand under Joseph's thigh, and Joseph says, don't bury me here. Take my bones back to the land. Promise me. We see how confident Abraham is in God's faithfulness. He makes the servant swear an oath to go according to this faith that a wife will be provided from the family and kindred of Abraham. And he says, with confidence, God will send his angel before you. I am so sure that God wants to fulfill this promise and to give Isaac a proper wife that God The very God himself, the maker of heaven and earth, is going to make your way there. He is confident. He said, but don't take my son back there. Bring that woman here. So this second thing that he does, he seeks a wife and he keeps his son in the land. Why not let Isaac go back to the land and find a wife? Like, doesn't it make sense that he could go and kind of show his face, she could see how good looking he is, And then they could get it together and figure out what to do next. But Abraham is firmly set on the promise of God. He said, we are going to inherit this land. Isaac, you're going to stay right here in this land. Perhaps this sort of parallels avoiding worldly temptations for the sake of obtaining God's promises. 
He wouldn't want Isaac to go back to the family of the house and the kindred and find acceptance there and find comfort there and find his wife there and just settle down over there. When Father Abraham is saying, no, son, this is the land. I buried your mother over here in confidence that this place was going to be ours. You stay here. Abraham is zealous to guard the promises of God. And so we see from his actions that Abraham was thoroughly confident in God's faithfulness and God's willingness to bring about his promises. He was living so as to obtain the promises. May the same be said of us. Point number three. God's providence favors the faithful. This point comes out of verses 10 through 27. And here Abraham fades out, and his servant becomes the main character of the narrative, and he exhibits the same faith as his master. His confidence in the Lord, no doubt, has been spurred on by Abraham's own confidence in God. And hear what the servant says in verses 12 to 14. He gets to the land, to the city of Nahor, and he prays. He said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love. To my master. So we see from that wording, the steadfast love to my master Abraham, that what the servant is banking on is the promises of God to Abraham. And now he's doing his best through prayer and by faith to discern what this might look like in reality. Right? How would one likely discern who is a prospect for a good and godly wife? How was he going to discern who God might select to be the wife of the son of promise? Well, he says, the one to whom I say, can I get a drink? The one who lets down and gives me a drink and also lets my camels drink. Let her be the one. When I find a woman around here who is servant-hearted and willing to serve and go above and beyond... That, that'd probably be a solid wife for Abraham. I think that's the one that God might be choosing for him. Lord, let it be such a one. He's trying to discern God's will. He's using human wisdom, which God willing will be helped on a little bit by providence. I mean, y'all who are looking for spouses, you should do the same. All right, now God has not promised any of you individually that you would have myriads and myriads of offspring. But you knew that God desires that any of his people who marry will marry in the Lord and that they would have a marriage that would glorify Christ in the church. So you begin to think, what sort of person might be a good and godly spouse for me? Uh, Maybe one who is willing to serve, one who is willing to go above and beyond, one who loves the Lord, one who is active in this way. We might be helped, those of you who are single and pursuing, to think like the servant. But also remember that there was a caveat giving to the servant. 
He says, well, what if the woman will not go with me? What if she's not willing to follow me? And Abraham says, she's not willing to follow you. Let it be. Let that be the same for you who are seeking spouses. Right? You try to discern who it might be. You make your approach. And if she or he is not willing to go with you, you say, amen. This was not the Lord's way. Let's check the next thing. Right? The servant's words are not prophecy. He's not predicting what's going to happen. He's praying. He's asking the Lord to do something, knowing that God always answers prayers in pursuit of fulfilling his promises. That's what I mean when I say God's providence favors the faithful. God always answers prayers and works so that he may answer his promises to his children. I find this most directly applicable to us in the promise of sanctification. Here, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Scripture says to the believers, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. This is a promise. This is a promise that God's providence will favor the faithful who are seeking to be sanctified according to God's will. You never have to give in to temptation. This says God's, prom- God's providence will always provide for you a way of escape. He will never let you be tempted beyond your ability to the point where you could say, God left me no choice but to sin. Always provides the way of escape. That's a promise. And so we pray and we seek sanctification according to that promise. Now we see for the servant that his prayer is answered, at least in part, in verses 15 to verses 20 in Walks. Rebecca. Here is Rebecca. Scripture says that she is a beautiful woman. She is a virgin, unspoiled by any man. And he says to her, let down your jar and give me drink. And she says, I will let you drink and I will water your camels also. This says he's got 10 camels. And you know how much water camels drink? This lady was like, oh, you want some water? I'll hook you up. And them too. And the people that was with him handling the camels. She's like, I got water for all them. And she goes back and forth to the well, and she waters and waters and waters. This is a godly, servant-hearted, beautiful woman. And in verse 21, it says, the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Right? He said, Lord, let the one who does that, please let it be the one you have chosen for Isaac. He sees the woman who does that, and now he's looking. He's like, is this it? Is God really going to do it like this? Right? The question is not, is God going to fulfill his promises? The question is, is he going to do it this way? That's the whole question of the text. Is God going to fulfill the promise this way, through this servant going out, through this servant meeting Rebecca? Is this how God is going to do it? And so the servant 
in verses 23 to 24, asks the most significant question now. He knows the character of the woman, and he says, please, tell me whose daughter you are, and is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. And we have plenty of straw and fodder and room to spend the night. This is a woman from Abraham's own lineage, Nahor, his brother, Rebekah being Abraham's grand niece. He's like one step closer. And what is his reaction? In verse 27, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. The Lord's providence favoring the faithful. He's getting there. Now, there's still some particulars to work out. Right? He still has to gain the consent of the family and the woman. Remember the caveat, right? What if the woman will not go with you? Well, if she doesn't go with you, then you're free from my oath. He's got to secure the agreement. And so he goes to the woman's house, and he tells his story of how God has brought him along and what he was looking for and why he was looking for it. And then when he finishes the story in verse 49, he says to the family, primarily to Rebekah's brother Laban and her father Bethuel, he says, now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. He said, you heard my story. You know what I'm looking for. Your daughter is the woman I was looking for. My master's son needs a wife. God has shown this steadfast love and faithfulness in bringing me here to this point. Now are you going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to Abraham by agreeing with what God has put forth so far? This is the hinge point of the whole chapter right here, this verse 49. This is where it all comes together or it all falls apart. That's what the servant says. Tell me if you are or if you're not. Because if you're not, i got to figure out what to do next. i got to turn to the right hand. i got to turn to the left. i got to figure out my next plan. Right, has this journey been for nothing? Have Abraham and his servant misunderstood God's promises or God's direction? Well, you get your first answer in verse 50. Laban, the brother, and Bethuel, the father, answered him and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is, is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Yes. All right. I won the brother. I won the father. We're good. We're almost there. What if the woman will not go? There's still some tension there. But then in verse 58, it says, They called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Yes. <laughs> the servant has come across hundreds of miles, any number of dangers. He went to that well, and on his way there and there, he probably was passed by any number of different women. 
He had to gain both the heart of the father and the brother and of the woman. Who put all these things together? It's the Lord. All things are in God's hands to fulfill his promises. There is no mountain high enough and there is no valley low enough to keep God from fulfilling his promises to his people. Right? The, the heart of a king is like a stream in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. All things are in his hands. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And when he makes a promise, he'll do whatever he needs to do and wants to do to make that promise fulfilled. God's providences always favor the faithful. Now we could say this in New Testament language. Right? From Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. God works all things for good to those who are called according to his purposes. And then in verse 29, it says, Those whom he foreknew, his beloved people, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's a promise. The faithful in the Lord are going to be made like Jesus Christ. And God is working all things to that end, be it blessings or trial or discipline. God's providence forever favors the faithful. Do you believe that? Have you seen that in your life already? Then you must testify. Point number four, the faithful testify to God's faithfulness. This is verses 28 to 49. What's interesting here in scripture is that it presents the story of the servant all over again. This is twice in the same chapter like we just read it. And yet it tells us explicitly when he goes into the house of Bethuel and Laban, he just repeats everything that we just read. He tells them, of the Lord's blessing upon Abraham. He tells them of the oath that he swore to find a wife for the son of promise. He tells them of the confidence of Abraham in the Lord's guidance and provision. He tells them about his very specific prayer and God's precise answer to that prayer. He tells them of the thanksgiving that he rendered to God for guiding him on his way and prospering his journey. His is a story of God's providence favoring the faithful. And scripture gives it to us twice in a row, like back to back, rapid fire. It's like, didn't I just read this? Why are you giving it to me again? What can we gather from this? Well, scripturally, it's reminiscent of Paul's conversion story in Acts. We get it three times. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 26, over and over. He was on his way to Damascus, and the light came from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Tells the same story, a little bit of differences, but three times we read through it. I'm like, didn't I get this already? Why are you having me read this again, Lord? And I think what Scripture is doing is it's giving us real-life, observable illustrations of God's purpose for his people. 
The faithful testify to God's faithfulness. When God does something glorious for his people, it is for his glory that we ought to tell others about it. I love to tell the story. Tis pleasant to repeat, which seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. God's people got to testify to his faithfulness. Psalm 105, verse 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. What are you, saints? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession to proclaim to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you are Christ's, you are called to tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Who of you have been sorely tried and tempted by sin, and yet the Lord has delivered you? What a testify of his faithfulness. Who of you has had their faith tested by trial and been dragged through the darkness of doubt and the Lord in his kindness pulled you out and set your feet upon the rock of confidence in Christ? You've got to testify. Who of you has been disciplined by the Lord You were running after sin. You were forsaking God in your confession of Christ. And he stopped you in your tracks and turned you around and led you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You got to testify to the goodness of God. Who of you have believed God's word and have confessed sin and not received forgiveness according to God's word. None of you. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. you got to testify. God has been so good and so kind and so merciful to me. you got to go tell somebody. Why? For his glory so that others might see him as he is. The Lord, the Lord, a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins. Got to testify. Notice that it's the servant's testimony that secures the favorable response of the family. Right, it's after his testimony that Laban and Bethel answered and said, this thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. It's like, based on what you have told us, servant man, it is so apparent to us that God is working in this. We're going to go right along. We see it. Believe your testimony. How can we stand in the way? And if only our lives and our testimonies would cause others to see God's mighty hand at work and lead them to submit themselves to his ways.
the faithful testify to God's faithfulness. Point number five, faith is confirmed. What that means is that according to God's promise, the one who hoped and the object hoped for come together. God be praised. In verses 61 to 67 of Genesis 24, we see that the servant and Rebekah make it back to the land of Canaan. And there's Isaac, the son of promise, waiting unknowingly to receive her. He's done nothing to earn this wife. He's done nothing to obtain this wife. He's made no pursuit of his own. Says he just went out to the field to meditate. He's probably going out to meditate on the word of God. Blessed is the man on his law. He meditates day and night. He's just in the field. Here she comes. Rebecca, good looking, godly, servant hearted, gift wrapped for him. Sort of like how salvation comes to us. We don't earn it. We don't do anything to obtain it. Jesus just comes riding to us with his word. And we are comforted from our burden of sin and guilt. God be praised. Scripture says that Isaac is comforted. He finds renewed joy after the death of his mother Sarah in the receiving of Rebekah. But you know who else probably had really great joy that day? Abraham. He's not referred to again in this chapter. In the next chapter, 25, there's really two most significant things we hear about him. One, that he takes all his illegitimate children and sends them away from the land and away from the son of promise. And then we hear that he died. So we know that Abraham was not faultless, but he remained faithful. He was pursuing the fulfillment of the promise to the son of promise. And he does die. But can you imagine Abraham's joy when the servant returns? Right? Isaac comes in from the field. Yo, dad, look who I met comes in from the field with the servant, and the servant relays the story and how it happened and probably testifies that whole story again. I prayed, and the Lord brought forth what I prayed for, and he turned the hearts of Laban and Bethuel, and God has picked the very wife. Indeed, you said, Master Abraham, God's angel was going to go before me, and he did. What could Abraham have said but God be praised? God be praised, leaping and jumping in his heart that God has proven his faithfulness yet again. His whole life was resting on the promises of God. He believed those promises through ups and downs, time again and time again. God proved his faithfulness to Abraham even when Abraham was fallen off. And providence favored him every step of the way. Abraham believed God's promises, and Scripture says it was counted to him as righteousness, that God didn't even hold Abraham's sin against him. And now this thing, he sends his servant out seeking a wife under oath, and God puts all things together so that this promise could keep running into the future, and Abraham just has to be like, praise God, 
He is the faithful one. Abraham's faith would continue to be confirmed. Right? He lived to see the marriage, like the actual marriage. Two people get together and you're like, yay! Yeah, I'll clap when they finally get it together. And he sees it. Right? They make the vows. They become husband and wife. They consummate the marriage. Abraham would have lived to see the birth of Isaac's children, Jacob and Esau. And so Abraham could clearly see that God was still moving everything in the direction of fulfilling that promise. Many descendants, land, blessing for all nations. But Hebrews 11.13 clearly states that Abraham died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Abraham's faith in God and in his promises was confirmed but it was not yet consummated. It wasn't yet brought to its complete and full end. And so to get there, we must return to looking squarely at Jesus Christ, in whom all the promises of God are yes. So let me draw your attention to this little blessing that Rebecca's family gives her in verse 60 of Genesis 24. They blessed Rebecca and said to her, O sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Now, in the Middle East, this would have been a common thing to desire for a sister, right, to leave a great legacy of victorious descendants. But it's telling how this is falling right in line with the wording of the promises made to Abraham. What I think is happening here is that Bethwell and Laban and the family of Rebekah have been made privy by the servant to the promises made to Abraham, and they are joining together with them in hope that God will indeed fulfill everything that he has said. And so God promised Abraham that his offspring would possess the gates of his enemies. He said that to him in Genesis 22. And that through his offspring, all the families and tribes of the earth will be blessed. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, scripture says, The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. He is the singular offspring who will possess the gates of his enemies. That's like a metaphor for complete and total defeat. You had a big city that would protect you and your people, and you would have a big gate to keep everybody out. When your enemy comes and possesses your gate, that's like today I come to your house and I kick the door in. You got no more security. I'm coming in. I'm plundering in your house. I dominate here. Jesus is the offspring who will possess the gates of his enemies. Remove his protection and destroy him. Harkens back to another earlier promise in Genesis chapter 3, that the offspring of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. Same guy. God is carrying his promises from the very beginning through Abraham all the way to us, and that offspring is the Christ Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came to destroy the works of the devil. 
He put him to shame on the cross, triumphing over him in death and using what the enemy meant for evil to bring about ultimate good for God's people. And through him, through Jesus Christ, every tribe and every tongue and every nation will indeed be blessed through faith in this great victory that Jesus has won. Promise fulfilled. Abraham's faith is confirmed, consummated in Jesus Christ. Let your faith be confirmed. God promised Abraham that his name would be great. And indeed, in his time, it was. But how much greater does Abraham's name become through a text like Romans chapter 4, when he is put forward as the prime example of God's grace of salvation through faith apart from works? Romans 4.3, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And his example is given so that we too might obtain salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 4, 5, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Promise fulfilled. Abraham's faith confirmed. Let yours be also. God promised Abraham that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. And indeed, Abraham had lots of biological children. Right? Every ethnic Jew in the entire world is descended from Abraham through Isaac. Not to mention the large populations of peoples who have descended from Abraham's other children. Multitudes upon multitudes of biological children. But I don't think it's these primarily that the promise is referring to or focused on. Right? Just as Abraham's illegitimate children were cast off, in favor of the son of promise, so Abraham's true children, who hope in the promise of God through Jesus Christ, are elevated above Abraham's natural descendants. Again, we hear the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 29, says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring." If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Every person who has been united to Jesus Christ through faith and hopes in the promise of forgiveness of sins and eternal life through his death and resurrection are counted as children of Abraham. They are united by faith to Jesus Christ, who in his flesh is actually descended from Abraham. These children of Abraham, the ones by faith, are going to be the myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands who will worship before the throne of God, saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, a multitude that no man can number, praising before the throne, will be children of Abraham. Promise fulfilled. Abraham's faith confirmed. Let yours be also. God finally promises Abraham that his children would inherit the land. And indeed, the land of Canaan was given to the tribes of Israel as a possession 
some 400 years later, just as God had said. But it is said of the spiritual children of Abraham in 1 Corinthians 3.21, says to the brethren that all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, whatever these teachers of the word, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all things are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. All things belong to the children of Abraham. The children of Abraham will inherit that land and every other land and the whole new heavens and new earth that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to bring forth when he comes again. The promise to Abraham will be fully established and consummated in resurrection glory. Abraham, now absent from the body at home with the Lord, is still waiting for the consummation of that promise. And so are we. But fear not, because God is faithful. He keeps his promises. His word is true. He always does what he says he will do. Your faith, my brothers, my sisters, will be both confirmed and consummated at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will all say together, God be praised. Thank you, Father, for these very great and precious promises through which we obtain life by faith. Lord, I pray that have strengthened our faith tonight. We thank you that through your word you have shown us a taste of your glory and your goodness. Uh, may the fruit be born from it, bring you great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.